Welcome to Erotic Awakening, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hello, fellow adventurers of sexuality and spirit, and welcome to Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington. I'm so glad to be back for a second month in a row. This month, we're going to be talking about consensual non-monogamy, sometimes known as polyamory, sometimes known as swinging, sometimes known as alternatively structured monogamy or open marriages. We're going to be talking about all of that kind of stuff. And I want to thank Dan and Don again for opening up their podcast for me being able to come back for every third Monday. At the end of last month's podcast, I opened up for any of you who want to write me and ask me questions about consensual non-monogamy to do so, because I'm announcing next month's topic a month in advance. So, for folks who are paying attention for March, that means that our topic is going to be age play, which is going to be everything from adult babies to dressing up like Santa Claus and everything in between, and I'll talk more about that at the end of the show. But, for people who want to write in and talk about non-consensual non-monogamy and polyamory, I had five Five or six different people write in, and a lot of you had overlapping questions and a lot of overlapping concepts, which tells me that the threads that run through relationships in general, not just non-monogamous ones, but relationships in general are universal concepts. So I'd like to actually dive in and talk about a question that we got from one person, which was, seriously though, um, what does polyamory even mean? I mean, can you at least give me an example or an explanation of the various dynamics in poly relationships? What a great question. I really appreciate that you're willing to write in and ask that question, Jay. And it's been interesting for me. I last week was out in St. Louis, Missouri, at Washington University in St. Louis, which is, you know, a big college out there, and was doing a class on open relationship structures. And it was really fascinating to me to see all of the different ways people interpreted this word, these words, consensual non-monogamy. Because some people were like, oh, well, you mean like Mormon marriages? And other people were like, oh, you're talking about when people are really just cool with having affairs. While other folks were like, no, 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 no. We're talking about constructed triads where three people are in a relationship for life. And the answer is yes on all of the above. There's a really diverse set of, of types of relationships that are consensual non-monogamy. For some people, this is monogamy where people have non-sexual exceptions. So what that might look like is that people are in a monogamous, one partner only, I am dedicated towards one individual, but they might have somebody that's okay to go and cuddle with. Or it might be acceptable to go and do BDSM play, but not sex where it's the sexual relationship is just between the two partners, but there might be other non-sexual experiences. For some folks, that means, oh, and you can, you know, curl up with anybody, or I'm okay with you making out with people, but non going to bed with them. For other people, it's no, no, no. Really, when I say non-sexual exceptions, I mean that it's okay for you to go shopping or to say, I love you to someone else, but if you touch them, that's no longer cool within our relationship. 
Some people call that monogamy with non-sexual exceptions. I know other people who call it open marriage. I know other people who just say, I don't know, that's just kind of life. I, I, why would we even have to negotiate that? Why should anyone, even that I'm dating, care if I happen to hug my friends or curl up and sleep next to them? And the answer to that is that every single relationship is different. Whether we call it monogamous or polyamorous or swinging or anything else, what my definition of these words are might not be what your definition of the words are. So if I say we're monogamous, you might think, oh, so you're sexually only involved with this one person. Well, for other people, they might be emotionally monogamous, right? So emotional monogamy is where people are only in love with or are only in an emotional dyadic relationship with one other person, right? So it's you and me and no one else as far as it comes to love. But maybe there's sexual exceptions. I know a number of people who I would define as swingers. Swingers are individuals who, individuals or couples or groups that show up to specific encounters, have sexual relations with other people, and then leave those encounters. At least that's my definition. But I know some people who consider themselves that go to swinger parties and it's a pair of people who show up together and either split up and have their own fun but then leave together or show up together, have fun with each other, adding in an extra person and then leave together, who consider themselves monogamous. Because at the end of the day, in 99.9% .9 of their life, it's just the two of them. And as far as their kids are concerned, it's just the two of them. As far as their parents are concerned, it's just the two of them. And to them, it's no one else's business if they happen to put out a Craigslist ad or a FetLife profile looking to swing with someone every once in a blue moon. And those people consider themselves monogamous. Now, I know other people who say, that's not monogamy, that's polyamory. Because polyamory is, now, I apologize ahead of time for the word because it is a broken word. It's part Creek and part Latin. But poly, many, amory, love, many loves. I know some people who interpret polyamory as meaning that I have multiple emotional or romantic relationships at the same time. I know other people who define polyamory as being, oh, I have multiple sexual relationships at the same time. I know some people who define polyamory as, I am open to loving many, and that love is not a finite resource that I have to dole out and worry on whether I have enough credit left in the bank to love another person. That love is not something that I have to weigh out by measures. And for some polyamorists, it's the notion that love grows. That if I love you and you and you, the total amount of love in my life grows exponentially. Now, this can get really tricky for people who say, well, I'm polyamorous. And I'm thinking, oh, that means you're open to loving many people. And what they mean is I'm open to having sex with many people. Or I'm currently dating many people. It gets even more confusing when people just start using the word poly. Poly simply means many. Does that mean that you're polysexual and happen to have many sexual encounters? 
Does it mean you're polyromantic and you have multiple romantic partners? Does that mean you're polytribal, which is a, a coin from a friend of mine in Arizona who thinks of himself as being open to multiple relationships but only within the tribe of his heart? That he doesn't have those encounters with people outside his circle of about 20 close friends who he loves and cherishes, who are the people that he would drop everything at a moment's notice to take care of them in a hospital. For some people, it means, when I say polyfidelitous, it's the notion of, oh, I am dedicated, fidelitous, I am dedicated to a few people instead of just one. Polyfidelity can take on the shape of a triad, three people who have decided to enter into a long-term or even a marriage-type relationship with each other. Polyamory gets a little bit interesting when we start looking at the mathematics of polyamory. What do I mean by the mathematics of polyamory? So when I first was talking about open relationships, gosh, I've been in open relationship structures now for, oh, wow, I'm getting old, 17 years? Yeah, yeah, for 17 years. My first serious boyfriend, he, uh, he and I, I was, I was genderqueer at the time, and I wasn't sure whether I was going to transition or not or what was going to go on with that. But he looked at me and said, well, are you sure you want to transition? How's that going to affect your, you know, your sex life? And I'm like, I don't know. I date guys, so I guess that means I'll only be dating gay guys. And he's like, well, are you only into dating guys because you've only been exposed to dating guys or because you only like guys? And I went, well, I don't know. I'm a teenager at this point. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I've just never really thought about it. I think girls are pretty and girls are fun, but I haven't really explored anything. And he said, so, he said, what I'd like to do is I'd like to open us up so that you can explore with other people. What do you think? So I thought about it for a little while, and I went, you know, it would be interesting to explore with women. And he decided to hook me up on our, my first date, and that was the beginning of my bisexual career. But it was also the beginning of us consciously exploring non-monogamy, that we both were open and transparent about what we were doing, talked with each other about it and our personal desires and then fumbled our way through that you know year and a half two years of the relationship where it was open and it was a successful relationship I mean it's really funny when I, I talk to people who say like oh it's a it's a shame that I broke up with them I mean I can't believe I wasted the last six years of my life and I go really you wasted the last six years I don't I don't understand that concept. I've had amazing relationships that lasted two months. And I've had all right relationships that lasted much longer. I've had relationships that were burning and fiery and passionate for a couple of years and then all right for a while and then kind of not so all right for the last six months or downright challenging and or abusive that last couple of months. Every single relationship is different, and I think that's important to consider as well when we're talking about this notion of polyamory, because I know some people go, well, it's not really polyamory unless you dedicate yourself within a group and you're together as a whole for like 5 to 12 years, and then it's a real thing, right? Then it's a real thing, because if it's just, you know, me and my spouse opening it up to bring in a boyfriend for the two of us, that's not really polyamory unless we've been seeing that person for six months or it's they, they've met our children or they've met my mother. It's not real until then. That's something I'm really facing right now in my own life as, I, uh, as I'm in the middle of planning an ownership ceremony. I'm in a, in a 
dominant-submissive dynamic relationship at this time, and with somebody who I've known for about three years. And we've decided that after, you know, uncertainty for, the, for you know, over two years and then turning it more serious in the last nine months, that we've decided that we want to have a commitment ceremony within the framework of our DS relationship. And both of us have other partners, other lovers, and things like that. And we ran into this challenge of how do we know if it's real? How can we tell that there's that security of the realness of a dynamic because there's that fear that comes up of, oh, honey, you're not his other girlfriend. You're his booty call. You're the thing on the side. There's the, the joke in that Chris, Chris Rock did a piece called the, um, to the uh, GED class of 99. Yeah, um, there's no sex in the champagne room. In his song, No Sex in the Champagne Room, he talks about the fact that um, if you have been dating a man for six weeks and you have still not met his friends, you are not his girlfriend. Right? That's Chris Rock's test on is it real? Is this really a relationship or is this something that's happening on the side? Now, I'm not going to say that things happening on the side is wrong in any way, shape, or form. It works really well for some people. Or else AshleyMorgan.com, the fabulous, you know, slash slightly skeezy website that's all about people who are married hooking up with other people who are married and having affairs on the side, would not be booming in the ways that it is. But for a lot of us, craving that security is part of polyamorous relationships, that we want to know that these are real relationships. So the question that I ask folks is, how do you determine if your relationship is real? Is it that you have pieces of jewelry that you've exchanged? Does it mean that your coworkers know about that relationship? Does it mean that your mother approves of the relationship? I know for talking with my partner, we were discussing the fact that, oh, we're going to be doing the ceremony, it's a commitment ceremony, but it has the word ownership on the invitation. And I said, yeah, I can't send that to my mother. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if she'll really get that it's a real relationship. And the more we talked, we realized, oh no, really, my partner needs their mother to understand that this isn't going to be some drunken exchange of oaths at some random pagan festival. This is something that we've thought about seriously months in advance, that we sent out invitations for, that we invited close friends to, that we're going to be having something that's going to say, we are choosing to walk our life side by side for a period of time. And mom needs to get that ahead of time. I know other people that that whole family outside influence is in a different direction. My former husband, we were together for about seven and a half or eight years or so. Depends on when you start counting because we knew each other as friends before we started dating. I'm, I'm one of those kinds of folks that tends to prefer knowing people for a little while before it becomes a real thing for myself. And... Uh, we were and we were out completely out about the fact that it w he also had another girlfriend and also did, played with a couple of other people and that I also had another boyfriend and that we also that I also played with a couple of other people and we had some people who we explored relationships with together as well and we were completely out about this we had a system with uh, my former husband's mother where if and, and father that if they asked a question like oh what are you doing this weekend oh well we're gonna go hang out with some people that we care about. Oh, really? What are you going to get up to? We would then pause and say, are you sure you want to know the details? Which would be a key phrase in both directions to say, are you sure you really want the details? And oftentimes his father would say, yeah, I totally want to know. Well, his mother would go, nope, I'm good. I'm good. But thanks for offering. So when we came, you know, when we announced that we were going to be getting married and having a full marriage ceremony, 
my former husband's mother, said, Oh, so you guys are going to be stopping this whole polyamory thing then, right? And he and I just paused and looked at each other and looked at her and looked at each other again. And he said, No. Why would you get that impression? In the eyes of his mother, this polyamory thing was fine as long as we're just dating. As long as, you know, there's not a mortgage and kids and complex families and families of blood interwoven with this whole thing. That there was the notion that polyamory was fine as long as we're swinging singles, but as soon as we were going to be getting married, that was a different issue. That was a different choice. And I know some people that that is their choice, that until a certain level of seriousness within a relationship comes up, they're happy to be polyamorous, but when it becomes, quote, real, it's something different. While I have other friends that know, really, they've been polyamorous their whole lives. And the notion, literally, raised in polyamorous households where they were raised by mom and mom's girlfriend and part-time by dad and dad's second wife and dad's other girlfriend and mom's occasional boyfriend and grew up in that household and are now and are now in their 20s and have been doing this their whole life and have been taught that no we here believe in love and there is many people who love each other in this house and many people who love you Kids need to know that they're not going to be abandoned, that they're not going to be left behind. This notion of security is another one that came up in some other of the emails that I had. I had somebody ask me, that they, they sent me a little an email, this is two snippets from it. I found myself craving a token of security, a definition of my role, a clarification of my place in the relationship. This was the key issue. I want to know that I'm special, treasured, important, beloved, and valued. Is my desire for even a small amount of security unreasonable? I know that nothing is permanent and uncertainty is a nature of reality, but does that mean, but does, what, uh, but does that mean we don't commit to anything? And my response to that viewer is no, to that reader is no, and listener, I think security is a completely reasonable desire within relationships. But there are scales that different people value security at different levels. I know some people that in a scale of 1 to 10, they're happy to have their security be at a 2 or a 3. You know, as long as I kind of know that you'll vaguely be around for me, whatever, it's all good. I know other people that know. I need to know in my heart, in my being, in my pores, that barring unforeseen circumstances, you care enough about me to really be someone who will take care of me when I come out of the hospital. That you will love me, as they phrase in Christian marriage ceremonies, till death do us part. That that level of security is a vital, essential thing. There are other scales in relationships. I know some people that really need sexual compatibility, that that's an 8, 9, 10. I know some people that it's about connection. For others, it's about romance or someone who I can laugh with and be silly with. For some people, it's having partners who I'm financially compatible and we have similar goals around houses and shared expenses. I know some people who need to have someone who they can be fellow adventurers with. 
for some, it's the shared co-parenting styles. Or I need someone who will have amazing sensual connections with me, who can kiss me forever. I know some folks that know I need a partner who can be spiritually connected with me and who will share my faith and my connection to deity and, div and divinity. I know other people that that 9, 10 needs to be someone who I could be artistic with. Maybe somebody I can share silence with. Someone I can love. Someone who I can have my day-to-day -day living with. Someone I could have be a shoulder to cry on. The different reasons we get in relationship are incredibly myriad, and the amount of you know, connection we need within that is incredibly myriad. This is one of the reasons that people enter into polyamorous relationships to begin with, is that if we have all of these different needs, sometimes one partner can't make all of those needs connected in the same way, right? Can't feed, feed, feed all of those needs in the same way. Now, I know some people that they can make that work. But for other people, maybe it's having one person that we can explore our sexuality with and our romance and maybe even co-parent with and live with day to day, but that we have someone else who we explore our faith with, who might be a best friend or our sister or a cousin or somebody that we're able to go down to prayer circle with and connect with in those ways. Now, most people I know don't think of that as polyamory because they think, oh, it's all about love or sex or romance. But I really believe that we are complex ecosystems of the heart that every single one of us needs to connect to other people in different ways. I'm personally saddened that we don't often take the time to really thank the people in our lives who do contribute in some way, unless they're sexual or romantic partners. Then we think of getting them Valentine's Day cards or romantic gifts or wooing them in different ways. But when's the last time we said to our brother or our sister, hey, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for being in my life. Or said to our best friend, thank you so much for the following things that you contribute to my world. That's for me one of the reasons that I've really been exploring polyamory over the last 18 years, 17 years, 18 years, whatever we're at right now, is because it's really taught me to value the variety of relationships in my world and all of the things that they contribute. So I would say to the, re to, you know, to the person who was listening and wanted to know about this notion of security, if you know your need, your needs are around security, that you need to know that you feel treasured and beloved and safe and secure and that you're not going to be dumped tomorrow, then own that. Own it. People in our culture have this, and when I talk about my culture, I'm talking about mostly North America. I hear this word needy as being a negative thing. Oh, they're so needy. Gosh, I can't believe they have so many needs. Every human being has needs. Every single one of us has needs. It's called being human. I need food. I need water. I need a roof over my head. I need to know that I am safe. I need to know where my next meal is going to come from. And for some of us, our needs are varied. Maslow, for example, talks about the hierarchy of needs that traditionally we need to take care of our food and water and shelter. And for some people, sex, right? He groups sex, um, he groups sex and being able to re um, reproduce safely um, within that bottom tier of hierarchy of needs. 
but for other and then there's higher needs above that the need to explore our personal identity the need to connect with other human beings that's the generic hierarchy of needs and please google maslow's hierarchy it's a fascinating read but i know other people that their needs pyramid is not the same as maslow's where no really love or touch or connection or faith or beauty actually takes a higher precedent in some cases than food or water or safety or shelter. This is where I see a lot of abusive or addictive relationship habits come up where people who are in desperate need, who need touch, who need sex, who need romance, who need to feel beloved, will put those needs above things like physical safety. And suddenly, situations like being beaten by your spouse seem perfectly acceptable, because at least I'm getting my needs met, my needs for love. Now, that's a total tangent, and I own that fact. But I think it's something to really consider, is to really take a long look, if you're considering being in any relationships, monogamous, polyamorous, or even with ourselves, right? Coming back to that mathematics of poly that I brought up earlier, I'm going to dig into that in a second. Really look at what your needs are. And can you get these needs met with this partner? How do you bring up to your partner that, oh, I really am I'm, I'm feeling like I need to be something special to you? Uh, well, you are special. Well, what I mean by that is, they're your girlfriend. What am I? Well, you're my other girlfriend. Can we come up with a special term for us that I am what this is? Or maybe we have a prop that we both have. And by a prop, I mean a collar or a ring or a piece of jewelry that I'm able to carry you around with me. Maybe it's instead of um, words or props, maybe it's about the fact that, no, really, I want to know that we have a date night, that we're going to spend quality time with each other every single Thursday, because that's what makes it feel real, is the dedication of quality time. Right? Think about the different ways that you want to have that way of feeling special or unique, or what it takes for you to have that sense of security. Really look at your needs and wants. Now, part of looking at our needs and wants in polyamorous and really in all relationships is taking a good self-assessment, which is where we come back to that notion of mathematics of poly. Now, mathematics of poly is that when I was first talking with people, oh, it's you got one person here and one person here and they're dating, so there's one relationship. That's what I was saying to a friend of mine. This was like 10 years ago. And I said, you know, that, yeah, of course, there's, there's one relationship. And so if you have three people dating, I've got person A and person B and person C. So we have got relationship AB, AC, and BC. So you've got three relationships when you have two people. And he looked at me and said, no, you have seven. And I went, what? What are you talking about? And he said, when you've got one person, A, there's one relationship. If you're not dating anyone else, whether you're choosing to be celibate, whether you're being autonomous at this time, whether you're being, you know, sexual simply with yourself, and I shouldn't even say simply, to be honest, some of my best sex is with myself. I have a really, really fantastic relationship with myself. I even married myself last year, which is, could be its own podcast in and of itself. But when you're person A, there's one relationship. And when A and B get together, there's actually three relationships. Person A with themselves, person B with themselves, 
and persons A and B together. When we have three people, we have person A by themselves, person B by themselves, person C by themselves. A, B, A, C, and B, C, and A, B, C. Seven relationships. This grows exponentially. When we have four relationships, we have 15, etc. right? We have four people in the relationship. Now, that's assuming that everyone within the relationship has an, inter an interrelationship with everyone else in the system. Not everyone does polyamory that way. Some people do polyamory in what's considered a V-shape, where one person has two partners, but the other two partners are only dating that first person. So person A is dating person B and C, but there's an AB and an AC, but not a BC direct relationship. Now, that belief, I think, is a little bit skewed personally, because I think there is always going to be a BC relationship. I think those other, in a V-shaped relationship, I think there is still, that still a relationship dynamic of some sort. Whether it's resentful, oh god, I can't believe they're going out with person C again. <sighs> they never spend any time at home. You're developing a relationship with person C, even if you've never met them, because you're becoming emotionally invested in their existence on this planet. I care that they exist. And hate is just as powerful an emotion as love is, right? Because it's about charge. It's about connection. It's about caring. And if I care enough to hate someone, it means I care about them. It's why you have people in you know, various storybook things and in real life as well, where people are so passionately against someone, someone until they finally say, why are you always against me like this? And suddenly the hot sex scene breaks out in the movie. Oh because I cared about you, because I actually invested in you, right? So I think even if we don't invest at that level, person C exists in the, ex you know, the continued circles of my world. They are someone who I love, loves. Therefore, the relationship between A and C affects A and B, because if A and C are having a really, really crappy time in their relationship, my bet is A is going to share some of that in some way, even if they don't share the details of it. They might come out of the fight with, with C, come back to partner B and say, hey, I, you know, I'm really having some challenges right now. I don't know if I'm really in the mood for us to play. It's going to have an effect upon the relationship, how those outside relationships are doing. That's why I talk about it as being a complex ecosystem, that person C's mental health affects their relationship with person A, who they're dating, which affects partner, you know, person B, who's in the relationship with A, because it all is about the expenditure of spoons and energy, right? That expenditure of our own essence. And I think that's really important to consider and doesn't often get looked at within our relationships at large. This is not just about our relationships with our romantic partners. My relationship with my boss affects my romantic relationships. My relationship with my political world uh, and, and politics at large affects my relationships. My relationship with my biological parents affects my relationships. My relationship to children affects my relationships. These are all interwoven and, in a lot of ways, interdependent. They affect each other. So I had someone else write in and ask about, um, about jealousy. They said, I've been in a non-monogamous relationship for over four years, and I still have issues with jealousy. 
I was wondering if you have any tips to avoid or coping with the green-eyed monster. To me, I think in the jealousy conversation, there are some things that really need to be looked at. And the first is, is it jealousy or is it envy? For those of us who have been in a long-term relationship with one person and that other person starts having NRE or new relationship energy, those sparkly first three weeks or six months, depending on who the person is, where it's like, oh my God, they're so amazing and so beautiful and so exciting and I'm going to do all the really good stuff with them. It can be really challenging to watch our partner get all you know, Twitter-pated over this new human being, and it can lead to the feeling that it's jealousy, that I don't want them having that, that I don't like this feeling, I'm jealous of this feeling. Are you jealous or are you envious that you wish they had that feeling with you? Do you wish that you got to go out on the hot, sexy, romantic date where they wore the sexy lingerie? Do you wish that they remembered your birthday? Is it about the spark within your relationship that you're missing? Because sometimes it can be jealousy. And for me, some of my biggest tricks on tr things on jealousy is A, looking at what my own inventory of needs. What am I missing here? Is my partner able to give those? And if not, where am I going to find them? Can I be the source of that joy? Am I projecting my own internal sorrow or pain upon this relationship? And when it comes to projections, am I perceiving that my partner is having a great, fantastic time that I'm being jealous of when maybe that's not really what's happening? I don't actually know the interior details of my partner's relationship with someone else unless that's built into my relationship to my partner. My current partner and I are trying an experiment around what we call radical transparency or radical honesty, where at any time, and it's again because we're based in, an, in a master-slave or a DS dynamic, that it's a lot easier for me to demand this of the dynamic, um, and you know, non and, and non-egalitarian relationships or, or non-even relationships have a different um, have different advantages and disadvantages when it comes to polyamory, and I we've decided to invoke and in, in, embark on an experiment, where at any time I can say boy, tell me what you're thinking. And they have to tell me what they're thinking. Or I can say, what do you mean by that? And they have to answer with full transparency what they mean by that, whatever that is. So, for example, they you know, had a sexual liaison with someone else who's been a friend of theirs for some time. And I said, um, and, and they said, oh yeah, it was really nice. We hooked up last night. It was really fun. And I said, did you actually have a good time, or are you saying that because you feel the need to? And it led to a really powerful conversation between us about the notion of, oh, well, actually, it was really interesting for me because, having been predominantly sexually involved with you recently, I found myself comparing. Not intentionally, but I found myself comparing. And I'm like, well, let's talk about that. And it opened up really fantastic conversations. Now, the pain <laughs> with radical honesty and transparency is that sometimes they're honest and transparent. And I don't always want to hear what comes out of their mouth. So I really, when I look at the notion of jealousy, I really look at whether I'm projecting on that relationship. Is there actually something to be jealous of? I do gratitude inventories 
What am I grateful about in this relationship? Former girl of mine was having challenges with us being in a long-distance relationship and being polyamorous. And so we decided that every single day she was going to wake up in the morning and do a gratitude list. And this wasn't even necessarily about the polyamorous within our relationship, but to just do what are you grateful for today in this moment? But she also did that within our relationship from time to time of actually stopping and going, I'm incredibly grateful that my sir remembers my birthday, that my sir remembers my favorite food. I am grateful that my sir sends me cute little schmoopy text messages. And being able to look back, we did that in a journal that was in a live journal format, so we were able to go back and look at it. I had a tool that I was able to go back and look at her lists and, be, and, and on occasion gut check myself as her partner and be like, oh, wow, I haven't been sending her schmoopy text messages. I wonder if she's missing them. And then I had a choice. Either start doing them and seeing if that improved her mood or asking her, hey, I realize I haven't been sending you schmoopy text messages, little lovey romantic text messages. Is that something that you miss? I don't know. I just, it, I've kind of fallen out of doing it. Um, and it's a conversation opener. When we open these conversations around jealousy, I think it's really important that we sandwich them with positivity, or if not positivity, with at least things that we can fall back on as far as good stuff within the relationship. Because if I'm in an open relationship and I say, God, you know, I'm really jealous about all the time that you spend with your other partner and you never do anything with me and I hate this and I hate that, and all I hear is hate? If I'm the partner that is in the middle of literally being doped up on drugs from having fallen in love, because it's a neurochemical thing too, right? If I'm doped up right now and I'm seeing my partner of the last couple of years be, I hate this, I hate that, you don't love me, blah, blah, blah. If I've got somebody else who's telling me, I love you, you're amazing, you're perfect, you poo gold, and your piss is made of unicorn glitter, and I think you're the most amazing thing on the entire planet, it can be very easy. And I have been this person before. It can be very easy to look at my partner of many years and say, you don't understand me anymore. We've grown apart. And that's not to say we have to soft wrap everything that we do, but I found it much easier to have my partner remember that I love them by saying, I love you, and I'm really happy that you're exploring this new relationship. And it's really been making me think about the fact that I loved when we were in our first six months of our relationship, and we used to go out and do this stuff all the time. Would you be open for us? going out on a really yummy date next week. Notice that I'm not saying, God, I mean, I know you're in the first six months of the relationship with them, but why are you getting to do all that when I used to have that stuff and you never give me good stuff anymore? That isn't often heard very well. For me to say from an I statement, not you, you don't do this, you're not this, you're not that, or you used to, saying, I remember, I miss, I love, I would like to, would you like to do this with me? We could. 
because you statements often alienate partners. And for me, within polyamory, I think that's been a really useful trick, technique, whatever you want to call it, for looking at jealousy. And I think these are really serious issues for people in any relationship, whether you're choosing to be monogamous, whether you're choosing to be solitary and have a relationship with yourself, whether you're choosing to be polyamorous, whether that's polyfidelitous, polytribalist, polysexual, poly, whatever that means to you. And remember, as you're building polyamorous relationships, whether it's transitioning from a relationship that's been monogamous into being polyamorous, or whether you're openly poly from the very beginning and saying, hey, I might not be dating anybody else right now, but I believe that love is not a finite resource. And as we start seeing each other, it's important that you know that that's a belief of mine. Or whether you've already been in a crazy, you know, dodecahedron of desire with 12 people interlaced in different ways with one another, plus the occasional spread off fractal here and there that's just a weekend hookup that you occasionally have. Remember to look at yourself and what your own personal needs, wants, and desires are. And also really be aware that different people mean different things using the same words. So if I'm negotiating to be polyamorous with someone, and I say polyamorous, and they say polyamorous, we might not mean the same things. These words are conversation starters, not things to make assumptions around. Because if the person I'm flirting with online says, I'm polyamorous, you're polyamorous, let's hook up, they might mean, let's hook up. While I might mean, I would love to build a long-term system with you because I'd like to bring you into the complex system of my heart and I'd like to build a tribe with you and have us find six or seven other people who want to open up a piece of land in upstate New York and run away there and create our own space where we can all live and love together. Making the assumptions in either direction can be kind of challenging. We'll just phrase it that way. So really look at what the words are that you're using and what those words mean to other people. So thank you again for joining me here on Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington. I'm going to be back next month. And next month's subject, the reminder, next month's topic is age-based role-playing. So whether you're into adult babies or curious about schoolgirl dress-up, could be about bullies or playing Santa Claus. It could be people in their 60s reaching back and remembering when they were 19 years old and snuck into their first bar. Everything in between age-based role-playing is going to be the topic next month. So if you have any questions around age-based role-playing, or around things that I brought up in this podcast, feel free to drop me a note at lee, L-E-E, at passionandsoul.com with the subject line, Ask Lee. And I'm going to be looking at questions on the podcast, and if I don't have space to respond to them in podcasts, I'll be answering them in my Ask Lee column on passionandsoul.com. So thank you again for joining me. And you can find me anywhere on the internet by doing a search for Lee Harrington. Though, warning, there is another Lee Harrington out there who writes do- books about dog walking. She's lovely, but she's not me. Or just type in passion and soul as one word on FetLife, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, DeviantArt, you name it, you'll find me. I'm incredibly easy to stalk. In fact, if you go to passionandsoul.com, on the right-hand side, there's a little button that says Stalking Made Easy, and it lists all the different ways to find me on the internet. So feel free to drop me a note. 
Thank you, fellow adventurers of sexuality and spirit, for joining me in this fantastic conversation and for sending in all of your questions. I really appreciate everyone who's been having a dialogue with me as this podcast project grows, and for Dan and Don for opening up their space here at Erotic Awakening. This has been Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington, and until next time, stay cool, have fun, be authentically you, and don't do anything I wouldn't do, which luckily isn't very much. Have a fantastic journey. So we are sitting around today drinking a little bit of tea. We are. And uh, we are sitting here with Lucar and Pollyanna, and we were just talking about how you guys have started a new uh, polyamory-themed website. And I responded by saying, well, why in the world do we need another polyamory-themed website when there's already a million of them out there? What makes this one any different? And you were talking and talking and talking. I said, shh, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and I busted out the recorder. And now we can do that all over again. So repeat yourself. So why do we? So the, the website is looking through us. Well, and I should start off by saying, hey, Lucar. Hi, Pollyanna. Hi. <laughs> Hi, dear. <laughs> so the website is looking through dot us. And it is a polyamory website. And to get to the point, why do we need another polyamory website? Um, I guess I'll answer that one. Um It was my thought that there's a lot of information on the web that ties poly to other lifestyle choices, or um, it's sort of an add-on to those lifestyle choices. So you have kink and poly, or you have pagan and poly, you have BDSM and poly, you have leather and poly, you have dark odyssey and poly. And so there's not really one place that you can go to just talk about really what poly is, which is relationships and relationship structures and feelings and um, all the things that are connected to feelings. And also when my husband and I were first um, considering poly, we didn't consider ourselves any of those other things. We were two people who had sort of taken a good look at swinging and said, not for us maybe. Mm -hmm. And then we had kind of sort of been on our own out and about trying to figure it out. And I ended up with um, a boyfriend and that sort of challenged him. And and we had managed to get through him having a girlfriend and a breakup and all that on our own, and we decided we need to do something else. But when you start that research process, you have a book that was written 25 years ago, which is heavily weighted to being bisexual, which is in many people's experience with Polly true, but it wasn't ours at the time. Mm-hmm. And then um, you had Polly and everything else. And it can be daunting when you're already stepping outside of your comfort zone to then be asked to step into things that you're not even sure what they are and you're not you're pretty sure you don't want to find out right now you really just want to know how do I deal with my wife and her boyfriend so I wanted to have a site that was just focusing on the relationships on being poly there's so much support for if you're kinky or if you're pagan or if you're Unitarian or if you, I mean, (laughs) add anything to Polly you want, but there's no one good place to come and read about people living the Polly lifestyle. Okay. What what I had in mind was uh, kind of almost the same thing, but from a slightly different angle was that um, whether you're involved in a a BDSM relationship or a master-slave relationship or uh, some other kind of 
kinky relationship, whichever, whatever your the first part of that sentence is, um, the, the common thread running through all of them is, is that there are relationships and there are basic principles for good relationships that apply across the board. And those are the things that we want to concentrate on this site. Those are the things that's the sort of advice and that we want to give and this, the, the, the message that we want to bring to people. Mm -hmm. So understanding that the, the point of the sites is a, a view of polyamory that's, that's focused on just polyamory, what are you actually doing on the sites? Are you uh, posting links to other people's works or quoting ethical sluts <laughs> or just posting your own experience? We are actively soliciting Hello, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> other people to contribute. But right now, what, what's happening is um, Lucar and I are generating the content. Um, once a week, um, typically Tuesdays, Pollyanna is entertaining questions from the field. So um, we have a little form spring box on the site, so you can ask an anonymous question. You nice. can email um, Pollyanna if you would like. Um, I've gotten some questions from other sources. so. Also plugging, if you have a question, feel free to jump on the site and ask it, and we'll answer it. But we're also hoping to really be able to have it be a place where other people can share their experiences. That's why we've set it up as an album. So there are pictures of individuals' experiences who are actively living non-monogamy, who are actively living poly, who are actively swinging. I mean, we're not excluding that either. I mean, we really want to open it up to um, people who are having open relationships and then it just so happens that Lucar and I identify as poly so right now it's heavily weighted to poly but we're open to a lot of different so you're actually like um, showing the good moments of poly because a lot of times when questions are asked is how do I you know do this we're having issues with that we're having mm -hmm. issues with this you know how do I fix that whereas when you're showing pictures and stuff like that it's also the good moments, which we forget about sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And, and when we say pictures, we mean word pictures. We, 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 we don't have a lot of photographs on the, right. on the site. And it, it's, not, it's not about, when we say pictures, we don't mean photographs. We, okay. mean, we mean word pictures. We, the, the, the basic concept is this, as if you were sitting down and looking through a photo album of our lives, but it's done in word pictures. Nice. We, 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 describe, we describe to you things that have happened things that have gone well and things that have gone not so well and mm -hmm. pitfalls that we've run across and, and 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 what we got into maybe not even including advice on how to avoid it but this is a bad place that if you go this direction you might trip over this and I think what we like to say is there's no one way one right way to do it there's a lot of not so positive ways and right. maybe we would like to help you think about those and at least bring them to the table and I think that people that are new to the lifestyle will certainly benefit from the site, but I think people in it too. And I think just to pick up on something that you said, Don, I think um, while we're not going to hide the ugly downside, I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. relationships go really bad and, mm -hmm. and sometimes they go really good, but the tone and of the, of the website is positive. I mean, you know, like the relationship may not have been fantastic, but this is what I learned. Mm -hmm. right? You know? right. And I right, think right. Um, that's really important because a lot of times we only hear about the horror stories. Exactly. And that's not what it's about. I mean, there's a lot of great things that happen in relationships, even relationships that don't go well. Makes sense. Makes sense. So it's a place of growth. So if nothing else, you'll be cataloging some of that growth 
Absolutely. For people is what it sounds like. Now, I, I see on the site that you have a glossary, and I assume that the glossary is going to include some definitions and that kind of thing. Was that difficult to come up with? Is that your own work, or is that you just something you stole from other sites on the web, or...? I, we, we, we deliberately chose not to, to go to anybody else's material and, 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 and start with that. We wanted, we wanted to build our definitions from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it became a very careful process of going back and forth between us. That, that, that page probably took us longer to put together than any other single entry on the, on the website because we our, our definitions are very particular and we want to be sure, wanted to be sure that the definition that we put down on the website carried our, carried our thoughts through, that, that, it, that it really put down there that, that we separate polyamory from non-monogamy and we see non-monogamy as a general topic and polyamory being a particular subset of non-monogamy. Okay. Makes sense to me. Me too. <laughs> Hopefully it makes sense to other people, too. <laughs> well, and I think it's important that you have the glossary there. I think it's a good jumping-off point for people when they come to the site. Mm -hmm. I think if you pay a little bit of attention to the glossary, you will find um, where we're coming from. And in fact, with the submission guidelines, if people are interested in submitting, we, we say right up front, you need to spend some time looking at the glossary to make sure that your terminology and your line of thinking um, you can understand where we are, we understand where you are, but we want to make sure that we're using terms in a consistent way. So I'm not saying that our definitions on the site are definitive and they're the only right ones. Mm -hmm. They're the only right ones on for the site. We want the we want to make sure that we're not confusing um, any you know, we're not providing confusing and conflicting opinions. And we sure, want to have sure. a unified voice. And when it comes to the submission guidelines, I haven't looked through them yet, but every once in a while I get a bug up my poly pipe to <laughs> share something or write something, um, is the idea that you're really looking for people that are long-term knowledgeable experts in polyamory or can, or is it appropriate for people that are just kind of struggling along, maybe they're in their first month and say, hey, I just did this and it was sucked. You know, here's my experience with it. We are. Or is it some middle ground is what you're looking for? I think some middle ground. We're open to one-time submissions. So certainly if like, we run into someone and they have said something and we want to highlight that, we would do something like that. Or we're willing to entertain the idea of a, a regular column like the poly, Ask Pollyanna feature. I mean, we would love to have somebody else providing an opinion. Um, and I would say even if you're not a fantastic writer... Both Lucar and I have pretty reasonable editorial skills. We're happy to provide some guidance and assistance if you're wanting to get started. And certainly, I mean, if you're a regular contributor, we would want you to commit to doing it for a particular period of time. So, you know, we, you know, we don't want you to sort of set out and say, I'm going to do 15 articles over the mm -hmm. course of the next year, and then you do like two. And, I mean, certainly you don't, we're not going to, like, hunt you down or anything, but we would like to if you make that commitment to have it be something that you're serious about. Okay. Very cool. Sounds good. Oh, and you had asked earlier, we don't just uh, repeat content from other websites just because they have it out there. Mm -hmm. um, 
Um, we do a little bit on our Twitter feed, but not not on our not on our site itself. Sometimes we find things that, that articles that are very cogent and very pertinent, and we, we'll put those on our Twitter feed. But they're not they don't we don't put them on the website. So it's all okay. original. It's all original content. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one more question for you, if you don't mind. What would you like to see this site be three, four years from now? I don't think I thought about it. <laughs> I've been solely focused on getting it to work and not crash. <laughs> um, and figuring out that... I've always done copywriting, so I've always just sent my stuff to somebody and it appears somewhere. But <laughs> I started from the ground up and I've had to get design assistance and she did a great job and then I've had to like sit down with WordPress and be like, I just want to turn this on and <laughs> it's not working. But um, I think ideally we would like it to just be a place that people come. I mean, I guess I'll think big. I want it to be a a place in the electronic world that the ethical slot is at Barnes and Noble, right? So, you know, people see that book, they, it's a trusted name, it's a good place to start. I mean, my hope is that we can be a place on the net because let's face it, anybody under the age of 25 is not reading a real book. So mm -hmm. I want it to be a place that, that people can come and, and say, you know, this is good content. This is this is something worth reading. A well-known resource that is listed at the end of a workshop <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Well, the uh, the site is lookingthrough.us. How can people uh, ask Pollyanna or email you guys or contact you or can, to contribute? It's all on the site. So there's a contact at lookingthrough.us. And that is the generic email for reaching us. We're also on Twitter at Look Through Us. And you could, I don't know how, if you can DM us or you can at message us if you're big into Twitter. Um, then there's also the anonymous um, box on the sidebar on the right that they can certainly ask questions and they don't have to divulge any personal information. Ooh, nice. Cool. <laughs> Leave a comment. Oh, right. You. <laughs> Lucar's reminding me that I set up a Facebook page, oh. and that is also true. So we are uh, looking through us on Facebook as well. Okay. Very cool. And I won't guarantee that all of the material on the site is hitting the Facebook page, but you can find us on Facebook if that's your preferred method. So okay. plenty of ways to get in touch with you. Great. Great. Fantastic. Well, I am going to... Um, Go jump on the site and make an anonymous <laughs> comment. Uh-oh. Clean up your own teacups. <laughs> okay. Hey, thank you very much, guys. We appreciate it. <laughs>